Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're going to be looking at the whole concept of war and how we need to learn more about it and to not be quite as eager as we've been maybe in the past in rushing into a war. My guest is an expert on this topic. Mr. Norman Solomon is an American journalist, media critic, author, and activist. His latest book is War Made Invisible, How America Hides the Human Toll of Its Military Machine. Mr. Solomon's dozen other books include War Made Easy, How Presidents and Pundits Keep Spinning Us to Death, Mr. Solomon is the founder of the Institute for Public Accuracy. Norm Solomon, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thanks very much. It's wonderful to be with you. I appreciate you being with me, Norm. Let's jump right into it in a minute. We're going to get into your book. But if you could uh, talk a, a minute or so about Roots Action, you were involved in that. What exactly is that? Really, it's an international effort to utilize the Internet to communicate with each other and take action for a whole multiplicity of concerns, including war and climate and social justice, and breaking down some of the barriers that exist between national borders and really between different media systems. So long story short, we started out with zero online supporters uh, back a dozen years ago. We now have a little more than 1 million, and we're very oriented towards people taking civic action to let their representatives and corporations and others know what we believe in and what, frankly, we're willing to fight for. Exactly. And we need to do that. We need to let our elected leaders know because some of them really, <laughs> you know, spirits, they know very little yeah. about what's going on in the real world. But anyway, our viewers can go to rootsaction.org to get more information on that particular operation. And also, what about uh, accuracy in the media? What, what exactly is that? Well, about 25 years ago, I founded with some colleagues the Institute for Public Accuracy. And our concern was that uh, especially mainline, very powerful mass media rely on a real narrow range of sources. And as journalists, we know, and as readers and listeners and viewers, we find out that the array of sources really determines the spectrum of debate and the essence of democratic discourse should include a wide array of opinion, not just those with cloud or big money being heard, but a, a mm -hmm. wide range of, of perspectives. So for the last uh, couple dozen years, the Institute for Public Accuracy at accuracy.org has supplied literally several thousands of different independent experts, researchers, academics, activists, and others supplied information and offering them as interviewees to a wide range of media. So we're still at it. Good job. Keep it up. Yes. And our viewers can go to www.accuracy.org for more information. Well, we're finally getting to your book, as we promised. And let's just jump right into it. Why did you write War Made Invisible? 
how America hides the human toll of its military machine. Like so many people, and especially in the United States, when our country has the biggest military budget, uh, bigger than the next 10 countries combined, most of them being allies, I've felt this terrible drift and really plunge into endless war. And whereas we, of course, had the Vietnam War, we had uh, a couple of invasions during the Reagan and first Bush administrations, but then uh, during the Gulf War in 1991, an estimated, according to the Pentagon, 100,000 Iraqi people killed in six weeks. And yet in the elite media and politics of the United States in 1991, that was counted as, as a great success. And now for more than 20 years after um, the horrible events of 9-11, we've had the United States really at endless war. And so really the first words I wrote of the book ultimately were the title, War Made Invisible, because as there are fewer and fewer boots on the ground, as the saying goes, as the last few years have gone on, more and more the American public, even though these wars have been fought and actually many continue to be fought in our names as Americans with our tax dollars, we're more and more distant psychologically. We know less and less. In many ways, as Americans, we're clueless about what wars are going on, what military actions are being pursued. And I was always taught in civics class and so forth that the essence of democracy is the informed consent of the governed. Whether it's in the United States or anywhere else, if we're not informed, how can we give any meaningful consent to the governed? So that's really why I came to write War Made Invisible, because I came to see as a journalist, as an activist, as a concerned human being, that wars are so destructive, they have so many terrible short and long-term effects, that as a merchant told me about a dozen years ago in a market in Iran, People want peace, and we need our governments to get out of the way so we can have it. We, we certainly do. There's no doubt about that. It, a lot of the military, and I'm not a military analyst or a military specialist or whatever, but I've, I do read a few articles from time to time. But a lot of the people who have looked at the wars we've been involved in, and you mentioned Vietnam in, in uh, the 60s and, and then on, on through really up to the present day with uh, just leaving Afghanistan not too long ago. But a lot of them really believe that uh, probably that if, if anything is legitimate, a lot of people argue no war is legitimate. No war should ever be pursued. But the, the Korean conflict was one that there wasn't a lot of public support for it. But there were reasons to be there, I guess, uh, from 1950 to 53. But as you look at uh, the, the conflicts we've been involved with in Vietnam, uh, especially, um, oh, the invasion of Afghanistan, and what a lot of people say, the illegal invasion of Iraq in 2003, what are some of the main drivers in this? Who, who, who are, who's promoting these wars? The military-industrial complex, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the general public, right-wing talk outlets, uh, who, who's, who's driving the engine on this one? Well, I would say all the above, and I think the phrase that you used is quite appropriate. It came from President 
Dwight Eisenhower, former general, who in his farewell address in 1961 as president, coined the term military-industrial complex. And now I'm afraid it could be justifiably expanded to military-industrial intelligence surveillance complex. There's a tremendous amount of profits being made from ongoing warfare. And while that's always been the case, there used to be a certain stigma attached. Uh, Senator, then Senator Harry Truman, during the Second World War, gained renown because he held hearings in Congress about what were called war profiteers. That was a, a dirty word, a dirty, dirty phrase back then. Now it's presented in the mass media, with few exceptions, as an honorable, even constructive uh, economic activity to sell weapons to the Pentagon. There are huge corporations and many others making a killing, so to speak, literally and figuratively from ongoing warfare. We've had continuous warfare uh, led by the United States uh, since October of 2001 with the attack and invasion of Afghanistan. And as you allude to, Bill, then came the invasion of Iraq. We really can't have it both ways. If invading another country, launching a war of aggression is contrary to international law, then it's illegal. And uh, as Senator Wayne Morse said, uh, one of the two dissenting votes in the Senate for the Gulf of Tonkin resolution that opened the floodgates, uh, the terrible floodgates to the Vietnam War, Senator Morse said, might makes right is unacceptable. He said, it's just as wrong when we do it, the United States does it, as when the Russians do it. And when I see that footage now, I think of the terrible irony because of course, what Russia has done in Ukraine is horrible. It should be unequivocally condemned. The invasion of Russia of that Russia has committed and the warfare that it continues to inflict on Ukraine, that's a violation of international law. It is immoral. It is illegal by any international law terms. And yet it's very difficult to listen to, say, Secretary of State Antony Blinken or uh, President Biden both of whom in the Senate, one as Biden being chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and Antony Blinken at that time being the chief of staff of that committee, they helped railroad through a Senate resolution for the invasion of Iraq, which then came about eight months after their very important hearing. So the hypocrisy is very difficult. And I would add that if you look at the hypocrisy, it's really hard to swallow. Uh, what uh, the Russians are doing in Ukraine does not um, in any way get justified uh, by the hypocrisy in Washington and vice versa. Neither the hypocrisy of either side uh, justifies the warfare and terrible consequences of the invasions and aggressions. So I think it's crucial, and this gets back to why I wrote War Made Invisible, that we have a single standard of human rights, a single standard of international conduct of different countries. And if we can, and this will come from grassroots, not from the top of governments, if we can establish and insist on a single standard, we will have a more peaceful world. And President Dwight Eisenhower, a Republican, a conservative Republican, was quite accurate when he called it the military-industrial complex uh, or military industrial congressional complex, whatever we called it at that time is yes. a combination, but he was quite right. And of course today, 
we see that the, the Pentagon budget is now, quote me if I'm wrong, is about $840, $850 billion. And that doesn't include all of the expenses. The costs for these high-tech weapons has soared over the past several years. The Raytheons, the Lockheeds, the Boeings, they're making huge profits off of this. The military industrial complex has gotten smart. They break up all these systems put them into different congressional districts. So there you have an automatic constituency at a whatever a, a Osprey plant in Wisconsin that doesn't want to lose their, their Osprey plant. And they're going to make sure that their person votes for the, the military budget. But this budget is just, uh, the word that goes with it always is bloated. <laughs> you, never, you should never see an article without seeing bloated in front of it. And it's, it's almost criminal the money that is being wasted on these uh, on some of these nonsensical weapons and the F-35 is one that comes to mind immediately. But how do you perceive that? I remember during the Vietnam War, I was pretty young then, there was a saying from the peace movement, a sardonic and unhappy one, war is profitable, invest your son. Now it'd be more appropriate to say war is profitable invest in Boeing and Raytheon and Northrop Grumman, because increasingly, especially with the withdrawal of almost all U.S. combat troops in different countries, the big money is in aerospace. It's in the above it all, what President Biden called over the horizon weaponry, billions and billions of dollars in profits being made. William Hartung, the great researcher of the military industrial complex, recently issued a report and he pointed out that the military industry has 700 full-time lobbyists on Capitol Hill. That's more than members of the House and Senate combined. So they're working it. This is a cash cow. This is a tremendously uh, profitable enterprise. And so we really, as human beings, have a challenge. Are we willing and able to directly, nonviolently confront those who would put profits over human life. It's a terrible situation here in uh, the summer of 2023. It's been ongoing. In many respects, it's gotten worse. And one thing I'd add, Bill, is that we need to push back against the idea, which is very much in the air in Washington and in national U.S. media, that diplomacy is a dirty word. And often in recent months, when some, even a few on Capitol Hill and others have raised mm -hmm. the need and really the necessity of the United States engaging in diplomacy with Russia over Ukraine. Uh, that has been um, attacked as, you know, a fifth column, uh, invocations of Munich and Chamberlain, all of this nonsense. How are we going to have a peaceful world if we're not going to have diplomacy? It's just an absolute necessity. And I might just mention, too, in passing, that the, it's the U.S. General Accounting or Government Accountability Office, GAO, has tried to do audits of the Pentagon, and it's absolutely impossible. It's almost like a black hole where the money goes. Nobody seems to know where it is. Nobody's accountable. Nobody can testify what happened to it. And the GAO has consistently given the Defense Department a D or D minus and saying, and they basically said, we don't know where it all is, but we know that 20 to 25 cents on the dollar is being wasted. It is being misspent. 
And if you just think of the trillions of dollars that's out there that we've spent over, well, really since World War II, and what that money could have gone towards, towards the educational system, healthcare system, towards mass transit, towards creating new highways, whatever you want to do with it, instead of putting it into dead-end weapons that do benefit a small handful of people. But it's we've got to take this into consideration. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you've been involved or if you are involved in a PBS or community access television station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you have a podcast, or you just have a computer, you like our show, you'd like to share it, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at this very complex area of war, and it's one that we need to learn so much more about. My guest today is Mr. Norman Solomon, who's just written a very interesting book on the, the hidden war that we need to learn about. Norman, we, I, there's so much we could talk about on this. It, uh, you mentioned the Iraqi invasion of, uh, I think, 1991, or that's Kuwait, and then uh, 2003, the, the illegal invasion of Iraq, uh, just a variety of issues out there. I, I don't want to detract from your book or get off off the road here, but uh, tell us what are some of the other items that you've covered in the book that we need to think about to help us better understand this issue and why we need to learn more about it? Well, a couple of aspects that come immediate to, immediately to mind um, are the costs of war and also the racial aspects of war. About the real costs of war, which of course in human terms are horrific, also we have the economic and social costs at home. Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech in 1967 about the Vietnam War in which he addressed the out of control military spending at the time in 1967, very much relevant in 2023. He referred to that military spending as a destructive demonic suction tube. And whereas thousands of times in media, we get a reference to his beautiful 1963 speech, I Have a Dream, we almost never hear any reference to that 1967 speech at Riverside Church in New York, where he did talk about what he called a demonic suction tube of military spending, goes to the point independent media such as this program, so important because we need to establish far better communication from and among the grassroots so that we can understand our historical moment. Another aspect that really I've tried to talk about in reference to the book is a chapter called Color of War. And this I think is hidden in plain sight. It took actually a while when I was working on this book before I fully realized that ever since 9-11 and the so-called War on Terror, almost all of the victims of U.S. firepower have been people of color. And I find this stunning that there's an absence 
a virtually complete absence of even mentioning that in U.S. mass media, let alone on Capitol Hill. And yet, if we really step back and look at this, there's a huge contrast between the public discourse that has emerged in recent years in the United States, especially after the police murder of George Floyd, where terms like structural racism and especially systemic racism have come to the fore, as they should, and need to be talked about more. And yet somehow the by omission pretense is that systemic racism in the United States ends at the water's edge. And we're, again, by omission, led to believe that although systemic racism affects so much of the judicial system, the prison system, policing, economic and social power, somehow it doesn't affect how and in what way the United States goes to war overseas. And I'm very clear about this in the book. The United States doesn't bomb a country because people there are people of color. But if a country is inhabited by people of color, that makes it easier for the United States to wage war on that country because of the individual, social, and institutional systemic racism in the United States. That's a dialogue, a public discussion that I think needs to happen. And I hope that my book will help to, to spark it. And in the last two minutes we have, and this may be the most important part we're getting to, uh, they've all been important, but this one in particular is the propaganda arm. And we've seen that the media have been so complicit. If you think back to the illegal invasion in 2003 of Iraq, the so-called, the old gray lady or whatever, the New York Times uh, did one of the best jobs of putting more misinformation out, especially through Judith Miller, who was getting her information from uh, Scooter Libby, who was uh, vice president, uh, the vice president's aide. And so it, it was just a flow of misinformation and disinformation. And of course, we have a lot of the media outlets who are just more than anxious to beat the drums of war. How do we deal with that type of thing from a reputable source like the New York Times or some of the more disreputable, in my opinion, that's my opinion only, disreputable sources like Fox or One American News who do not have a good track record on putting out a lot of good information or accurate or objective. But how do, how do we overcome that in a, in a minute and a half we need to recognize and expose those kind of dynamics. Just to take your example quickly, uh, Vice President Cheney's office would leak disinformation, misinformation to the New York Times. It was reported as virtual fact on the Times front page. And then people like Cheney would go on Face the Nation and meet the press and say, oh, it's not just me saying this. Look, the New York Times is reporting it. And this kind of thing goes on constantly. It went on then, it goes on now. And in terms of gauging the effects of this propaganda de facto system that we need to recognize, expose, and challenge, I discovered in working on this book that right before the United States attacked and invaded Afghanistan, so we're talking October 2001, a country that none of the 19 hijackers came from, Afghanistan, mm -hmm. Gallup did a poll and found that only 5% of the U.S. public was, was opposed to the impending invasion. When we have a media system that can have only 5% of the public opposed 
to the U.S. waging a war of aggression on a country that never attacked us, that tells us something about the depth of the problem and the necessity for us to take strong action in response. It certainly does. It, it certainly does. And we need to do that. And we, we've got to get more involved in this and not believe everything that we read. It, uh, I, I'm getting so now that when I hear the, the drums of war being beaten, I thought I've heard this for the last 40 years. And yeah. what's new? What's new? Come to find out in the end that most of it was a lie. And even if you look at Afghanistan, which most people sort of agreed to going into Afghanistan, it was a bad decision, but they did agree to it. And even the Iraq invasion later. But you had a situation where the media really didn't do a very good job in analyzing it or getting the facts out. And then you also had where the military, we find out now, that so many of the military leaders said, We've lost Afghanistan a week after they went in. They said, we, there's no chance we'll ever win this war. It just isn't going to happen. You're not going to beat the people who live there every day. You're not going to destroy the Taliban. They'll be in the caves, they'll, wherever. And we just never seem to learn from that. But we've got to be much more skeptical of the media reports as we move forward on this. And hopefully we won't be bungling into any more illegal wars in the not too distant future. But there's so much, Norman, there's so much more we could talk about, but we'll have to come back and do that because we, uh, there are many other aspects that I want to cover. But again, I want to congratulate you so much on your book, how, let's see, how media, no, War Made Invisible, How America Hides the Human Toll of the Military Machine. It's a fascinating read. It's very important and we encourage people to take a look at it. But I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thank you so much, Bill, for having me on and for this program ongoing. My pleasure. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.